me put a face with a name, uh, and again, just let you know how glad we are that you are here. If you're visiting with us, either because you're looking for a church where you might be patiently allowed to consider and struggle with your faith, or perhaps you're new to the area, you're looking for a new church home, or perhaps you're just on a business trip, and you were looking for a community of faithful believers, and you just wanted to come in for one Sunday uh, and join them in worship. Whatever it is, humanly speaking, that has brought you here this morning, I want you to know, we as a church want you to know that we are glad that you are here, and we do not take for granted the fact that you chose to worship with us this, this morning. So thank you for giving us the privilege of worshiping with you. If you've got your Bible, let me encourage you uh, to turn to the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to take a a one-week break from our fall study through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25. And if you don't have your Bible and don't have one of the apps on your phone and you want to use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text on page 831. And I'd encourage you to grab one of those and go on and turn uh, and be prepared to read along with us. But while you're turning, you know, though, you know, though, um, when we die, that we don't like approach the gates of heaven. Peter's not going to come out with a clipboard and say something along the lines of, <clears throat> "Now, Browning, infant baptism." Strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree. Pick one. Or question two. Jack and Jill approached the gates of heaven. Were they there out of their own free choice or God's sovereign will? Short answer only, half a page, no partial credit. In other words, as important as doctrine is, and it is, you need to know there's no doctrinal exam for admittance into heaven. One of my favorite preachers to listen to is a man by the name of Alistair Bagg. And in a clip in which I heard recently from a sermon entitled The Power and Message of the Cross, he says the only answer, the only right answer to the question of why one should be granted entrance into the heaven is the man on the middle cross said that I could come. We are saved by grace, the grace of Christ, through faith. And it's not of ourselves. We, we have absolutely nothing to boast in. Doctrine, that is what we believe, is important. And I do not question for a minute this church's belief of and strong defense of the gospel. And no serious person can listen to what is taught from this pulpit or in our classrooms, or in our Bible studies, and make a serious charge otherwise. But I do wonder, in general for our church, as, as I do for the church at large, if we are as quick to be doers of the gospel as we are to be proclaimers of the gospel. The question that I want us to consider this morning, yes, corporately, but even more importantly, perhaps, individually, as the man standing behind this sacred desk, or as you sit in the pew, the questions that I think we need to answer, and don't be quick to answer, is this. Have you come to a place in your life, have we as a church family on Walnut Grove in Memphis, Tennessee, have we come to a place where we are willing to say, Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, 
I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to be, I will be. Those questions are a lot harder to answer. Do you know that Bulgaria was an ally of Nazi Germany in World War II? It was a Nazi nation in spite of the fact that not a single Bulgarian Jew died in concentration camps. Think about that. How did that happen? Early in 1943, the Bulgarian government signed a secret agreement with the Nazis to deport 20,000 Jews to Auschwitz. They started with the annexed territories, and between March 4th and March 11th of that year, they rounded up thousands of their Jewish citizens. The Nazi troops rounded up the Jews in a town called Sofia. They brought them down to the local train station, and at midnight they were going to board them on the cattle cars to send them to a concentration camp to die. Just before the clock struck midnight, down the boulevard leading to the train station appeared six-foot-five Metropolitan Kirill. He was the Bishop of Plovdiv, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church in that area. You may remember that the Russian Orthodox priests wear those miters on top of their heads. In other words, it added another foot to his six-foot-five frame. Kirill must have looked gigantic coming down that boulevard. There in the middle of the night, he appeared wearing his black robe and marching with him towards the station were 300 of his church members. It was said at the time that when Metropolitan Kirill walked, his stride was so great that people had to jog just to keep up with him. As they reached the cars, Kirill approached the train. His people surrounded it. Their Jewish neighbors were inside those cars. And as he came to the train car's door, the Nazi troops pointed their guns at him and said, you can't go in there. And he turned around and he looked at his church people and he said, did you hear that? They said, I can't go in there. And they moved his guns aside or that he moved their guns aside and he opened the, tr the train door and he walked in and his Jewish neighbors surrounded him. And he quoted one verse of scripture. And it changed the destiny of a nation. Do you know what it was? To a group of people who were about to be shipped to Auschwitz, he said from the book of Ruth, Wherever thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And the people, the Jews and the Christians cheered. News of the bishop's act spread. 42 members of parliament rebelled the next day against the government's position and the captured Jewish citizens were freed and returned to their homes. At the beginning of World War II, the Jewish population of Bulgaria was 48,000. At the end of World War II, it was 50,000, making Bulgaria the only country, only country under Nazi rule to end the war with more Jewish citizens than it began with. How is that possible? It's because a Christian priest identified with the suffering of the people around them. Their suffering, their plight, their hardship became his. Which leads us to our text this morning. So let's read Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31, reading through verse 46. 
this is God's word. It is perfect. It is poignant. It is personal. So let's give our attention to the reading of it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will set separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left and then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, and in prison and you did not visit me. They also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit of our Heavenly Father, some of us approach this moment with fear and trembling, uneasy in our own spirits, fearful that we might be exposed or worse, rejected by you. Others of us approach with joyful and reverent hearts, confident of the work that you have already done in our lives and certain of your continued love, commitment, and work in our lives to come. The stories of our lives are as varied as the number of persons in this room. None of us have identical pasts, perfect presents, or certain futures, and yet the word we have just read tells us that our Father in heaven created each of us, knows us better than we even know ourselves, has worked the events of history and the events of today to bring each of us to this point where we gather together to hear from you, from this word which is inspired by you, sustained by you, delivered by you. So Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves this morning to you, asking that you would speak through the distractions that often come the pain, the wounds, the scar tissues of hardened hearts, through the silence, to the anxious ears of those who desperately need to hear from you. Whoever we are, whatever it is that we believe has brought us to this place, we gather in this moment to hear from you. So would you graciously speak to our hearts in ways which cannot be denied as we depart this place this morning. And we humbly, yet boldly ask, speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name. Amen. So this text begins with, when the Son of Man returns. Now, to the original audience, when they heard that phrase, Son of Man, their mind would have run back to a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about the, the promised Messiah coming again. So when the original audience 
heard that language, they would have known immediately what Jesus was talking about. What we have just read is often called the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's not a parable. Jesus is describing what will happen when he returns. I'll admit, my knowledge on this subject is very limited. I live in Mississippi. I'm not a shepherd. But from my commentary reading, what I understand is that if a shepherd in the ancient Near East went to separate the sheep from the goats, it would not be as easy as many of us may think. Sheep in the ancient Near East did not have kind of that fluffy cotton ball coat that make them um, easily distinguished from kind of the stringy gray coat from a goat. No, they looked the same. And so it took great skill and care on behalf of the shepherd to actually be able to separate the sheep from the goats and to do it accurately. And so there's a great deal of care that we're told that Jesus is going to take when he returns. As we look at how the two were separated, I want to first look at the group that comes last in the illustration itself. Let's look at the goats together. The account of which you'll find in verses 41 through 46. These are the ones that the king sets on his left. When I read these verses, I feel somewhat sorry for the goats. I don't know about you. Maybe you do as well. But it doesn't seem fair, does it? After all, they didn't know. That's what, verses, or that's what verse 44 says. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? They just didn't know, did they? But don't stop there. Ask yourself the deeper question. What is it that they didn't know? I think the answer can be found in the pronoun you. Listen again to their response. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? You see, the more I read this account, the more convinced I am that these people, the one that Jesus describes as goats, they would have helped if they knew it was their king. They would have helped if there was something in it for them. You see, don't you, that they don't say, we, we didn't see anybody hungry or thirsty. We didn't see any strangers or needing clothes or sick or in prison. We never saw a need. We, we never saw anyone fitting this description. No. What the answer is, we didn't see you needing these things. It tells you something about the true heart of those whom Christ identifies as goats. If they thought it would have gotten them somewhere, if they thought they would have been recognized for their efforts, if they thought that it would have somehow benefited them somehow, if they would have seen the hidden cameras and known this was some kind of prequel to the show Undercover Boss, then, well, yeah, sure, we would have helped, but we didn't realize it was you. The goats are willing to do whatever 
if they think it will benefit them in the end. Contrast that with the sheep. It's interesting if you go back and you actually reread the account of the sheep, you find out something very telling about them as well. The king lays out for them the same situation, and while the actions of the sheep were different, their circumstances were not. Go back, look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, did when, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? Do the same thing with the pronoun you, with the sheep, as we did with the goats. When did we see you hungry, thirsty, as a stranger, as needing clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison? In other words, well, yeah, we saw people like this, and sure, we fed them. They were hungry. They needed something to drink, so we gave them something to drink. They needed a place to stay. We, we had a spot, so we let them stay for the night. Who wouldn't help people like this? But, but that wasn't you, was it? Lord? The situation in both cases is the same. But the actions and the responses were different. Because their heart is different. The goats didn't do anything because they didn't know it was the king and they didn't think they would get credit. The sheep didn't know it was the king, but they weren't looking for credit. They served because they serve a king who did not come to be served, but came to serve. They served because of their hearts. Charles Haddon Spurgeon writes, As for the sheep, they fed the hungry, but sovereign grace had first fed them. They clothed the naked, but infinite love first clothed them. They went to prison, but free grace had first set them free from a worse prison. They visited the sick, but the good physician in his infinite mercy first came and visited them. The story is told of a well-known Christian speaker who traveled from the East Coast to Hawaii to speak at a conference. The longer I'm in ministry, the more it's coming to my attention that I haven't gotten an, I haven't gotten an invitation to a gig like that. I'm starting to get worried. But if you've ever traveled either to Hawaii or overseas, you know the difficulty our bodies have with time changes, especially when you get past maybe one time zone. Because of the difference in time, this particular minister woke up at 3 in the morning hungry. So he went looking for food, and he found a greasy little diner. He describes it as being small, no boots, just a row of stools at a bar, greasy menus, this minister sitting in the middle of the row at 3.30 in the morning. And the door opens and in walks eight or nine prostitutes. And they sat down on both sides of him as he ate his donut and drank his coffee. And they were loud and they talked across him. And one of them said to her friend on the other side, You know, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend responded, So what do you want me to do? You want to make you a card? You want me to sing to you? You want a birthday cake? What do you want? A party? Is that what you want? Why do you have to be so nasty? I was just making conversation. He just said it was my birthday. 
No, I don't want a party. I've never even had a birthday party. I don't expect to have one now. The minister slowly worked on his donut, ordered another cup of coffee. He waited for the ladies to leave. He called the cook over and he said, do those ladies come in every night? Yeah, every night, same time. The one sitting next to me, Agnes? I guess so. Agnes. I heard her say tomorrow is her birthday. What do you say if tomorrow night I get a cake and we have a little party here just to celebrate her birthday? Mister, I love it. And he calls the waitress over who happened to be his wife. He goes, honey, tomorrow night, you, me, this guy here, we're throwing a party for Agnes. The minister asked if he could decorate. Harry the cook said, to your heart's content. The minister said, I'll get a cake. Harry said, no, cake's mine. I'll make it. I'll make the cake for Agnes. The next night, the minister showed up at 2.30. He hung streamers, balloons, made a sign that said, happy birthday, Agnes. The waitress, the cook's wife, she had gotten word out on the street about the party. And the next night, by 3 a.m., the diner was wall-to-wall prostitutes, the cook, the waitress, and one minister. Right on time. 3.30, the doors open. Agnes and the other girls walk in. And everyone in that place yells out, Happy birthday, Agnes. She was blown away. Her knees buckle. Her friends had to hold her up. They sang happy birthday to Agnes. Tears started flowing down her face. And as they finished the song, Harry brought out the cake with 39 candles. And Agnes began to sob. (laughs) Ugly cry. Right there in front of everyone. Harry gave her the knife. And he said, cut the cake, Agnes. She held the knife, but she didn't move. She said, if it's okay, I really don't want to cut the cake. Is that all right? Harry says, fine. It's your cake. Do whatever you want. She said, what I'd really like to do, if it's okay, is take the cake home, show it to my mom. I live just down the street. And after she sees it, I'll bring it back, and we'll all eat it and enjoy it together. She took the cake and she held it ever so carefully and she made her way through the diner and out the door. And as the minister tells the story, he says no one said a word. And after a while, he said, I'm a minister and I'd like to ask, if you will, if you'll join me in prayer, I want to I pray for Agnes. And he said everyone bowed their head. And he prayed to God, thanking him for Agnes and praying that he would take her out of this lifestyle of abuse and being used and discarded. And Jesus, would you save her from this destructive lifestyle? And when it was over, Harry the cook looked at him and said, Mr., you didn't say you were a minister. What kind of church do you minister in? And the minister said, I minister at a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes and diners at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry yelled, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because I might just go to a church like that. Whether thou goest, I will go. Your people, they will be my people. Your God will be my God. Lord, when did we see you hungry? 
When did we see you thirsty? When did we welcome you in? When you did to the least of these, you did it unto me. Have we come to a place in our lives? Are we as a church family to the point where we're willing to say, Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whomever you want me to be, I will be. I was driving back from Auburn, Alabama last week. We took some time to visit our son in college. When I drive long distances, I like to look around. Natalie oftentimes will read a magazine or read a book. Margaret Ann will sit in the back and have her AirPods in and watch something on her phone. As I was driving back and looking around, I happened to notice that both on a lot of bumpers and on a lot of flagpoles, I saw the Gadsden flag. You know the one I'm talking about? Bright yellow coiled snake with the words, don't tread on me. And I couldn't help but think as I thought about this passage and as I was thinking about this sermon, those flags won't fly in the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a political statement. Whatever your view about the degree to which government should be involved in our lives, that's up to you. I don't care. Fly the flag if you want to fly the flag. All I'm saying is that as a Christian, there is no area of your life where you get to look at God and say, don't tread on me. In fact, as a Christian, you've asked God to tread on every part of you. It's what you mean when you say these words on earth as it is in heaven. You're actually echoing the sentiment of your Savior who prayed to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to be, I will be. Lord Jesus, tread on me. There are diapers that need to be changed in the nursery of this church. Babies who need to be held and hymns that need to be sung to them as they drift off to sleep. Children with special needs who are part of our recess program that meet one Friday night every month to give their parents a break. Jesus is in the nursery of our church. Jesus is at the recess gatherings. Lord, when did we see you? When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Jesus is in these places. Are you in those places? There are young boys and girls and adults that need to be taught in Sunday school, questions that need to be answered, Bible studies that need to be led. Lord, when did we see you? Jesus is in the Sunday school classes. He's in the small groups. He's all throughout our church. He's in those places. Are you in those places? Of the 630,000 plus people living in Memphis, there are people living in all sorts of conditions, in all sorts of places. Throughout the city and in our surrounding area, 
and in the tri-state area, some of those places you and I do not regularly go. But you know what? Jesus is in those places. So how come we're not there? There are people in our neighborhood who don't know Christ. And they need to see what he's like. And Jesus has told us to be his hands and his feet. And to serve others. He's called us to be his ambassadors. Are you his hands and feet? Are you an ambassador of Christ? Do you seek to serve others as Jesus first served you? There are people hungry in our community. Jesus fed the hungry. As Christians, do we feed the hungry? Lord, when did we see you? When you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Do you buy a meal for the man or woman you drive by every day and seek to avoid eye contact with? There are people thirsting for answers and we have the fountain of truth. Are we bringing them to drink from an everlasting stream? There are people who are close to naked. Have we clothed them? There are people who are suffering all kinds of injustice. Are we suffering with them? There are people going to hell. Do we care? Do we move beyond our theological conviction of the existence of hell and identify, those, identify with those who are, who are without Christ are destined to experience it for all eternity? Are we going to our communities or are we waiting for our community to come to us? Or let's go even deeper. Let's get a little more personal. Do we say we would like people to come or we're not against people coming yet keep up all kinds of unscriptural boundaries to keep them from sticking around I'll ask it one last time are you ready to say Jesus wherever you go I will go whatever you ask me to do I will do your people are my people because your God is my God Jesus, tread on me. Are we as quick to be doers of the gospel or just proclaimers of it? Are we willing to be a church of dids? Not didn'ts. Isn't he worthy of this? He is. Lord Jesus, if we are going to love as we have been loved, if we are going to serve as we have been served, if we are going to do the things you ask us to do, it is going to take a work of your Holy Spirit to change us. To move the doctrine of our heads to the dues of our hands and our feet and of our hearts. So Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and God the Father, work. Begin with the man in the pulpit and the individual in the pew and the person watching or listening to the live stream. Change our hearts 
change our lives. And may your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you alone are worthy of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is printed in your bulletin on page 8. It's, O church, arise. So let's do that. Let's arise and sing together.